Hi, this is Joe Jakevich, and welcome to the Story Lanes podcast, the podcast where I tell the story of how I'm making an independent feature film while I'm making it. Yes, that's right. I'm hard at work producing Smart House, an independent horror film. It's the story of a cantankerous feminist tech podcaster who is making a podcast about living in a smart tech home. But there's a problem. The house is haunted. Or so it seems, because all that smart home technology is controlled by a hacker. It's as if your worst enemy in the world controlled your Alexa. This week, we're finally going to talk about business models. What they are, how they apply to filmmaking, how I'm thinking about them for my film. It's a key decision in the development stage, the time when you figure out the plan to make the movie. And it's in the development stage because it's a decision that needs to be made before a lot of other things can be done. I'll have a lot to say about it here. Now, business models. I'm going to start with the basics here. My apologies if you already know this stuff. But at the very least, this will show you how I think about this subject. And I should note at the outset, this is a simplification. I'll be focusing on the aspects of this subject that are most connected to my view of filmmaking. This should not be mistaken for a business school seminar. I'll also note this is informed by my experience in the software development business. In particular, I spent about a decade working as a corporate officer of three different venture capital-funded internet startups, clearly a world where business models are important. So what is a business model? Well, to get to that, we really have to start with the question, what is a business? And I've got my own answer to that question. In my view, a business is a machine where you put money in one end and get money out of the other. And if it's a good business, the money that comes out is more than the money that went in. A machine, you said? I thought it was a bunch of people working together with resources. Well, yeah, but that's kind of a machine, isn't it? Anyway, that's the way I am thinking of it. So the money coming in the front end can be a lot of things. It's salaries and expenses and all the other things that you have to spend to keep a business going. And initially, it's an investment. Money that is used to start up the business. The money that comes out the end is called revenue. And if the revenue is more than the costs, the difference is the profits. And if the revenue is less than the costs, well, the business isn't going to last too long. Now, clearly, there's other things you have to put into a business to make it work. It's not just money. But money can generally buy you what you need. That's the great thing about money. Do you need someone to do a job to make the business happen? Then hire the person, and that means money. Do you need office space or a storefront or a set where you can film? Again, that costs money. Do you need some raw material or equipment? More money. So it all comes down to money. And yeah, some people may be putting in time, effort, and resources and not get paid, but they generally get some ownership stake in the business. In that case, you're turning ownership in the business into money, which really is how investment generally works. In the business, we call that sweat equity. You sweat, you get paid equity, which means ownership of part of the business. So, we've got a machine where money goes in one end and more money pours out of the other end. How, do, how does this magical transformation work? That's where the business model comes in. A business model tells you how a business turns the money coming in into the money coming out. It tells you what the money is spent on and where that money comes from that the business generates. 
Now, there's a lot of different business models for a lot of different businesses. For example, think of a restaurant. You use money to rent the restaurant, buy ingredients, hire cooks and servers and hosts, and to advertise. The cook turns ingredients into meals. The servers serve those meals to the customers. The customers give you money, and voila, you've got a business model. And if the restaurant is a success, the money that you get from those customers is more than the money you've spent to make it happen. Or think about one of the startups where I worked. It helped people organize group trips and market them on a website. The money going in went to hiring software developers, people like me. It went into advertising for people to organize trips, to buy computer time to run the servers, to rent office space, and to pay resort owners for the use of their place. The money coming out of the business came from people paying to go on those trips. And there's another business model. So what does all of this have to do with filmmaking? Well, especially in the independent film space, but to a lesser extent even with studio films, every movie is a business. Usually it's literally a business, at least in the case of indies. The most common approach is to set up a legal corporation to represent the making of the movie. So, for example, I've incorporated the Smart House Film LLC in the state of Virginia. Smart House now isn't only a movie, it's a company and a business. And because it's a business, Smart House, like any film, will have a business model. It will take in money as investments, use that money to make and market a film, and make money from the film. Now note, from a broad view, most films have the same business model. You take the money and hire cast and crew, you rent equipment in locations, you buy supplies, and you use all of those things to make a movie. You spend some more money to market the movie and to pay distributors. You then make money by having people pay you either directly or indirectly to see your movie. Directly by buying a ticket or renting the film. Indirectly by subscribing to a service where the movie plays or by watching advertising around the movie. And that's the business model. The initial upfront investment to make the movie, then money coming out from the viewers. But the details here matter a lot, and it's in those details that I view the differences in the business models that I'm considering. So let's look at some possible business models for films. I'm going to start with a couple of business models that I'm not going to use for various reasons. And just for the fun of it, let's start big. And about as big as it gets these days is a Marvel movie extravaganza. So why not start at the top with Avengers Endgame, the biggest grossing movie to date? Okay, there should be a giant asterisk on that. Because of course, it's only the biggest grossing movie if you don't adjust for inflation. If you do adjust for inflation, Gone with the Wind is still the biggest grossing movie in history, over 80 years after it was released. And for various reasons, it probably always will be. But of course, the Hollywood hype machine doesn't like saying that an 80-year-old racially problematic epic is the biggest grossing movie in history, so they don't adjust for inflation. And when you're not adjusting for inflation, Avengers Endgame is number one. So let's look at that business model for Avengers Endgame. First off, it costs $356 million to make. That's a lot of dollars. They use that money to hire writers and directors, a whole lot of top actors, and a small army of crew members and effects technicians. Really, sit through the credits sometime and look at how many people worked on that film. 
and they used money for cameras and lights and settings and all the other things that you need to make a film. And of course, they used money for marketing, $200 million for marketing according to Google. That's a big marketing budget, and it's a key input into the film's business model. So much for inputs, what's the outputs? Where did the revenue come from? Well, according to Box Office Mojo, a great site for this kind of thing, in Box Office alone, Avengers Endgame made $858 million in the U.S. and $1.9 billion internationally, for a grand total of a little under $2.8 billion worldwide. That's a lot of box office. But of course, that's not all the money this movie made. It sold DVDs and Blu-rays. It brought in revenue from video on demand. It makes money on streaming services. It makes money from TV and from airplanes and from all the other places you can see a movie. It even makes money selling toys. How much money did it make in all those channels? Well, that's an interesting and complicated question. The short answer is, it's awfully hard to find out just how much a movie makes through all those other channels. People don't generally publish that information like they publish box office numbers. And that makes it awfully hard to plan how much your movie might make. Since a lot of movies, including Smart House, are likely to make more money from streaming than from box office, those other channels are crucial, and not knowing how much films make in those channels, well, it's a challenge as you are planning your film. Trust me on this one. Now, of course, I don't even know how you can figure out the revenue in some of these channels. For example, take streaming. Oh, sure, as an independent filmmaker, I could tell you how much money I get paid from streaming services. But suppose you own a streaming service like Disney does. You can see Avengers Endgame on Disney+. Plus. You see it free, if you're a subscriber. But how does someone watching that count against the bottom line? How much money is Avengers Endgame itself actually making on those Disney Plus subscribers? Now, I'm sure that the smart numbers guys at Disney and Netflix and HBO Max and all those other streaming channels have a way of determining how much a movie makes based on how many subscribers watch it. But I'm not sure how real those calculations are. It smells a little to me like what I sometimes call lying by spreadsheet. Did anyone subscribe to Disney Plus just to see Avengers Endgame? Maybe so, but probably not many. If Avengers Endgame and all those other Marvel movies weren't on Disney Plus, would a lot less people subscribe? Probably. But how do you determine how much of that subscriber revenue should be attributed to these movies? It's confusing. But happily, it's not a problem I have to deal with. So let's put Avengers Endgame aside and look at something on the opposite end of the business model spectrum. I have a friend named Justin Snyder who recently made a movie called Path of the Beast. It's a horror movie about Bigfoot. It's a good movie. I recommend you seek it out and watch it. You can even find my name in the credits. I was a production assistant on the film for a couple of hot summer days. But I didn't get paid for my time working on the film. To the best of my knowledge, nobody got paid. We all helped out for the pure pleasure of making a movie. Not surprising, the investment in the film was quite low. It was shot in locations that Justin had free access to, a meeting room in a library, woods by a relative's house. Justin used equipment he borrowed or owned. 
and there were no people expenses. Like I said, we all worked just for the fun of it. Now, of course, Justin did put a huge amount of time and effort into making this film. He spent months, years even, making Bigfoot costumes and masks. And they really look good. He really did a great job on the Bigfoots. Or is that Big Feet? But there wasn't a huge amount of money going into it. Just time. Of course, Justin isn't pulling in Marvel-type revenues either. You can rent his movie on Vimeo or buy a DVD from Justin, and he's taking it to Bigfoot conferences. You can even find a link to it in Storylanes.com in the episode notes. And Justin is also taking DVDs to Bigfoot conferences and selling them at booths. So, anyway, that's another business model. Make a movie for next to nothing. Do it with free or cheap resources. Market and distribute it yourself. There's not much money going into the business machine in that case, but you're also not going to get anywhere near Marvel levels of money coming out. There's actually a famous book by a famous filmmaker about just this model. It's called Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez, and in it, Rodriguez tells how he made his first film a no-budget, volunteer-only effort that he made for only $7,000. And that's back in the days of film. Rodriguez had to buy film and develop it for that money. And from that, he launched a successful directing career. Justin's approach is not a crazy one. It's basically Rodriguez's approach. And one thing I really want to stress here, I am not in any way looking down on anyone who manages to make a movie at any level whether it be no budget or budget in the hundreds of millions. Making a movie is hard, really hard, and finishing a movie is even harder. Even when I don't like a movie, and I liked Path of the Beast, I still respect the accomplishment of the filmmakers. So mad props to Justin and all the other filmmakers out there who managed to pull together a feature. I'm working hard to join your ranks, guys. So there's our two endpoints. Avengers Endgame, huge budget, backing from a giant corporation, ginormous revenue. Path of the Beast, almost no budget, driven entirely by one creative dude, earning whatever revenue Justin can scrape out of it. So, where is my business model in that spectrum? Well, neither of those. I don't have anywhere near Marvel resources, and I don't imagine I ever will have them. And while I have a huge respect for what Justin did, there's a few reasons I don't want to follow his path. A big one is, I don't feel entirely comfortable having people working on my film for free. I intend to pay everyone. I have no problem with Justin getting free labor. There's no problem with not paying people when they know they're not being paid. And making a movie is a lot of fun. Just working on it is payment in itself. But that's not what I want to do. I intend to pay people, and that's going to make the movie a lot more expensive. How much more expensive? Maybe not as much as you think. I know another guy who managed to make a fairly impressive cop action drama for around $30,000, and he paid everyone who worked on it. So it's possible to pay everyone and still do things on the relative cheap. Now, aside from the question of how comfortable I am with free labor, I have a sincere hope that if I pay people, they will be more reliable. For example, Justin did have some problems with people flaking out. On one of the days when I worked on his film, 
We spent most of the day shooting scenes with one actor, with plans to shoot a couple of key scenes the next day. But the next morning, the guy texted Justin and told him he just didn't want to do it anymore. He just dropped out without any real excuse. Justin had to recast at the last minute and reshoot all the scenes we had shot the day before. A serious bummer, and one that I hope is less likely to happen if I'm actually paying professional actors. Now, just paying people is no guarantee, of course. I could still end up losing actors at crucial times. But hopefully it's less likely. Now, heaven knows there's plenty stories of actors who got sick or dropped out of a project for some other reason. It happens even in the biggest productions. Just ask Terry Gilliam. But the crucial point for this discussion... Paying actors puts Smart House into a different business model than Path of the Beast. It's going to cost more, which means that to make a profit, I'll have to find a way to make more. And note, the making more part is another key element of the business model considerations. Because the things that are going to draw paying audiences, those are a key part of the business model. I need to figure out what are the elements of my film that will sell the film. Now, I talked about that a lot in episode 18, where I discussed how I went about figuring out what script I should make. The short version is that horror is marketable, and with the right connections and a little luck, I can probably make enough money off horror to make a profit on an ultra-low-budget movie. You don't even need name actors for it. All you need is a good trailer, a good poster, and some good word of mouth. So this is one business model that I'm considering. Ultra-low budget, something in the fifty dollars to $100,000 range. Unknown actors, relatively cheap crew. Pay them, but don't pay them Marvel-level rates. Do a lot of the work myself. Sell the movie based on genre and some good marketing hooks. And some people that I've consulted with on this suggest that it, for a movie of this type, I might be able to get hundred dollars to $200,000 in revenue. Maybe even a little more. Not a bad little money-making machine. Now, I've had a fairly nice little career in tech, and tech workers are paid absurdly high compared to what we actually contribute to society. I mean, I've built a lot of cool and useful software in my time, and there's a good chance that if you've spent any time on the internet, you may even have used some software that I built. But I'm not sure anything that I've done has contributed as much to society as the average teacher or nurse, even though I've been paid a lot more than they are but I've come out of that career with enough savings that I could probably pay for a film at this level out of my pocket. It'll be a stretch, but I won't have to mortgage the house. So that's another consideration. Following this model means I don't have to raise money. And who really wants to raise money? Well, there's some people out there that who do, but not me. But let's put that one aside and look at another business model. Suppose I want to make more money off the film, then I need more elements that are going to bring in more audience. And what might those elements be? Well, the obvious answer. Get actors that people want to see. Known actors. But known actors means more expensive actors. You have to pay them higher wages. But to some extent, if you're going to bring in an actor who is used to a higher quality production, you need to have a higher quality production, and that means more expensive. Now, with known actors, the wages themselves just go up. With unknown actors, I could pay scale rates. 
Suppose I decide I want to get the best unknown actors available. Those are going to be people in the Screen Actors Guild, or SAG. Now, SAG has an ultra-low-budget level for their films that sets what the scale is for actors in those films. And the scale is around $200 a day. So that's what I would be paying my actors in the really low-budget version of this film. But if I am getting a name actor, well, I might have to pay $10,000 or even more a day with so for someone with a name and reputation. Really, the sky's the limit here. You could pay millions. So, clearly, a production with more expensive actors is a more expensive production. Now, I have written a couple of roles in this film that won't require a lot of days of shooting, but that play a significant part in the movie. So they're big enough roles that if I got a name actor in that part, it might have a real impact on how I can sell the movie. But on the other hand, it wouldn't take a whole lot of days. Two, three days of shooting for a major supporting roles. Now, having those actors in, well, it could multiply the revenue I could hope to get from this film. And I could do that for, I don't know, let's say $10,000 a day, let's say five days from big-name actors, now I'm out $50,000. If I could spend that $50,000 and get in hundreds of thousands of dollars more in revenue, well, that's a great little thing for my business model, isn't it? But all of these calculations are very complicated, and they get even more complicated still. Maybe I want to find an actor who is big in some specific geographic region so that I can sell the movie there based on the actor's reputation. Say I pick an actor who comes from Africa and is well-loved in Africa. Maybe I could pull in $100,000 in Africa alone for paying $20,000 for an African actor. That's not bad. Now, I have three significant roles in Smart House. Two of them are these kinds of roles where I can shoot them out in only a couple of days each. I kind of view these as my chess pieces. By casting the right person in each of these roles, I can start putting together a good revenue output package. I can raise the amount of money I can make. It's a very complicated set of considerations. And it's one that I'm going to discuss in a future episode when I talk about casting, when I get a little deeper into that aspect of things. So anyway, these are all some of the things that I'm wrestling with. Take this all together, and this is the second business model that I'm considering. It's still low budget, but not as low as the first model. Say, targeting around $250,000 to make this film and hoping to make maybe a million dollars in revenue out of the film. Four to one return, not bad at all. Now, of course, there are other bigger business models, business models at just about any level of investment, from Justin's no budget to Marvel's hundreds of millions. But for this, my first film, I'm limiting myself to these two models. The first, unknown actors, self-financed, shoestring budget of fifty to 100000 Oh, and I hope to make 200000 or so from the film. The second, name actors carefully chosen for their marketability, target a budget of around two hundred to 300000 bring in investors to make up the difference between what I can afford and that larger amount, hope to make at least a million dollars off of this. 
And of course, with either one, dream that I hit it really big, make ginormous revenues, I make the next Blair Witch Project a paranormal activity. But that's not really a business model, that's only a dream, not something that seriously factors into my calculations. So, two business models, which am I going to pursue? Here's where you learn a little bit more about me. I'm a planner and a plotter, and I always like to have a plan B in case plan A doesn't work out. In this case, plan A is the second model. Try to raise money, try to hire name actors, make more money on the back end. Now, of course, I may find that raising money is harder than I expected, and I may find that it takes more time than I want to take. I really want to be shooting this film in next spring. But if I get well into this and I just can't raise the money by next spring to make the movie that I want to make, well, I still have plan B, which is the cheap model. Make a movie with money I can pull out of my savings, market and distribute it with a target of making a couple few hundred thousand dollars. Make a small profit, but a big enough profit that I can make the next movie, and the next, and the next. And there you go. Now I have a business model. Either way, this is going to be a low-budget movie, and I don't expect to make a giant fortune from it. I'll have to work hard to keep expenses down and have a realistic distribution plan that will allow Smart House to make a profit, no matter which business model I follow. And figuring out how to do that? Well, there's a whole lot more episodes about that one. So anyway, I've got a script, now I've got a business model, and of course, I've got a podcast. And next time, I'm going to be talking about... Well, I'm not really sure what I'm going to be talking about. Usually, I try to be at least an episode or two ahead of actually publishing it. But life has been so busy lately, including being in a play, having to clean out my basement because the guys with the jackhammers are coming tomorrow, and all sorts of other things, that I'm going to be flying by the seat of my pants for this one. So come by in two weeks and see what I've got to say. Until then, check us out on storylanes.com for the script of this episode and whatever other links I think are useful. Like, for example, a link to Path of the Beast should you want to see it. And do see it. Quite aside from the fact that it's a good and entertaining movie. Really, support your independent filmmakers. We're out there making some really interesting stuff. And if you're complaining that there aren't any really interesting, different, good movies being made lately, you're not looking in the right place. I'm not going to include a link to Avengers Endgame. If you really want to see that, I'm sure you can figure out how to find it yourself. Anyway, this is Joe Jakevich for the Story Lanes podcast. Talk at you later. Yeah.